Welcome to the Liberal Europe Podcast, a European Liberal Forum project. I'm your host, Ricardo Silvestre. Today I'll be speaking with Carolyn Vodem. Carolyn is an MAP for Southwest England and Gibraltar, and she's the group leader for the Liberal Democrats at the European Parliament. We talk about her experience as an MAP, her podcast, and yes, unfortunately, we will be talking about Brexit also. And that's our conversation. I'll introduce you to some of the events organized by ELF for the first week of December. I'm here with Carolyn Vodem. Carolyn, thank you so much for coming to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's a privilege to have you here. And uh, we're going to dive right into it. And that is, I'm going to ask you, please, to tell us a little bit about yourself to our listeners. Um, you are a journalist, you are also uh, an entrepreneur, a small business owner. So tell us a little bit, how did you get interested in politics and particularly how did it get you to uh, the European Parliament? Well, I guess I've always had an interest in politics because I grew up in quite a political household. So my dad was first elected as a councillor before I was born. And there is a, a photo somewhere of me in a pram with a sash on saying vote Smith uh, when my dad was standing for an election. And as a teenager, he stood three times for parliament for the Social Democratic Party. He left the Labour Party and joined the SDP um, and helped form that in Scotland, which later became the Liberal Democrats. So. My house was sort of constantly full of people who were coming in doing strange things like bundling leaflets and starting off canvassing sessions. And, you know, I never really paid it much attention as a teenager, but, it, you know, it, it was around me and we always had very political discussions. We talked a lot about politics. My mum was involved as well. And then... Um, I became a journalist. I worked for Reuters for a long time, so I spent a lot of time interviewing politicians and a lot of my work was based in and around the Balkans um, during the fall of Yugoslavia and, and post-war, so I was very involved with that story. Um, and then I was involved in a couple of charities, so one was a campaigning um, charity for, well, a sort of support group and a campaigning charity for young widowed people, and I ran that for a couple of years, and I was also involved in working for a charity that worked with prisoners. Um, so that was sort of more political with a small P, I suppose. And then I was, as you say, I was running my own business, and, and through my business, I was talking to people all day, every day about the stuff that goes on in people's lives, you know, the, 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 the troubles they were having getting um, health care for their elderly relatives or social care or mental health um, treatment or people who'd worked in education who were watching the sort of decline of our schools. So that was all around me. And then we had the referendum and, and I woke up the morning after the referendum and just realised that I, I hadn't really got stuck in and, and should have been out campaigning for a Remain result and, and hadn't, had been totally consumed with running my business. And, um, and I joined the party the morning after the referendum and decided that actually you can't just sit there, um, well, we all use this phrase, but you can't just sit there shouting at the television. You know, if you want to see something happen, you have to, you have to just stand up and do it. And I felt like I had 
qualities and skills that I could bring to the table. I speak several languages. I've lived in Europe. Um, I was passionate about the European issue. And so that's really what got me involved was the Brexit referendum. And I didn't really expect that three years later I would be sitting in the European Parliament. It's quite incredible and a, a huge privilege. Well, it's a good thing that you are. And then I did notice in one of the conversations you have on your podcast, and we will be talking about that uh, later here in our conversation, that that kind of field work, you do love it now. You do love to go and talk to people and canvases and go door to door. Yeah, I do really enjoy it. And I think probably I've always been quite nosy. I mean, I think you have to be quite nosy to want to be a journalist. I, you know, I've always really enjoyed asking people questions and finding out about people and their stories and their lives. And, you know, you can walk down someone's front path and knock on the door and, and think you know absolutely what this person's going to be like from the way they've done their garden and the car that's parked in the drive. And you know, you quite often get really surprising results and people in, behind their doors are not what you expect. Um, so that's quite fun. And I enjoy that. And it's very rare that we get people who, who are rude. Um, you know, people are sort of nervous about door knocking, but actually the British are terribly polite. And when you <laughs> knock on their doors, they're normally quite polite. The other thing that I would like to go back to something that you just said a minute ago, and that is the fact that you did experience Europe very closely. You uh, worked in six European countries. You speak several languages. You already mentioned that. And you describe yourself as a deep, as in deep love with European project. So tell us a little more about that, because it does connect with the reason why you come to the podcast and we're going to be talking Brexit, unfortunately, uh, uh, next. But tell us, especially when you were just saying that you talk with people, that, that is a driving force for you to explain to your British citizen, British uh, co-citizens your e European experience and that how that translates to that activism that you, you just have now. Well, I think the first thing I would say is that I, I really can't stand this idea of Europeans as being other or, or different. You know, there, there's 20 miles of water between Britain and the European mainland. And honestly, sometimes you would think we were thousands of miles away. And I, I don't... I, I don't really see that there is a difference. People speak different languages and obviously there are huge cultural differences, but that's part of the wonder of it. I absolutely love the fact that you can get in a car. You know, when I lived in Croatia, I used to occasionally I would have to drive to and from England. Um, you know, it's quite a long drive, but the fact that you can just get in a car and cross several borders and you're in Italy and then you're in Austria, or you're in Germany, you're in Holland. It's just so amazing. And and, and that you don't have to go very far to experience all these different, you know, different food, different language, different culture, different art, different music. And I, 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 I think that we are richer because of that. And I think that there's a there's a terrible attitude among some people in the UK that that we don't need that, and we can, you know, it it's not part of our our world, and that we should just sort of batten down the hatches and and you know be this little island on its own and i i can only see europe as something that enriches us in so many ways and also there's the the peace project um idea behind it so you know i think we have a slightly different attitude to that maybe than people on the european mainland um i i think it's it's phenomenal to 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 see people in the parliament 
talk about the war and and talk about it in a context of something that happened in the past and that they 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 won't let happen again and the fact that we sit there in strasbourg you know which was so near the front line um uh-huh. and it's 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 real for people you know there are people sitting in that parliament whose whose n- relatives you know not very far back were on the german side of the war and people whose relatives were perhaps in france or uh-huh. you know and I think that the fact that we've achieved that is is phenomenal, and and it and it's we shouldn't throw it away. It's too serious and it's too important. We're not going to be talking about Brexit per se, but it will be a shadow during our conversation. But for you, working in Strasbourg, working in Brussels, you're in the committee for transport and tourism, also for environment, public health, and food safety. How does this thing work? And very recently, you also had a petition regarding uh, the commissioner for the United Kingdom. So how does this affect your daily work, all these concerns, all these delays, all this unknown election now? Yeah, um, it has been quite hard for us. I was elected with 15 colleagues. You know, we're a fantastic bunch of people, quite diverse, but, you know, really great bunch of people. And we really want to get stuck in and and. and you know, be part of this. And I, I noticed that my colleagues from other European countries on the Environment Committee, for example, are really beginning to get to grips quite seriously with the work and understand the issues. Um, and, and that's what they're focused on. Whereas for us, it has been different because we constantly have one eye looking back at what's happening in the UK. We are supporting our candidates in the election now. So you know, we came here for a month or two and then we had some time off in August and I, my European colleagues, most of them, went and had some rest and, um, you know, had a bit of a holiday, spent some time with their family. So we came home um, in August and were campaigning really, really hard on the Brexit issue because we were facing a, an extension. Then we got the extension. Now we're fighting a general election. So it's really distracting. And obviously, personally for us, we can't find anywhere to live because we don't know if we're going to stay here so we're still um i'm i'm lucky i actually have a friend in brussels who i stay with but a lot of my colleagues are are in different hotels every week um you know there's no sort of permanence none of us have got much stuff in our office because we don't know whether it's worth putting pictures up or you know it's all that kind of thing it's it's temporary and it's um it's it's distracting and we would really just like to be able to get on with the job and just be MEPs because it's a fantastic job and it's an important job and and I feel that we really should be here and we should be fully contributing to the to the life and the work of this place. Yes and you were just mentioning that uh, there's a lot of work to be done and that there's your colleagues from other countries on the committees. How is that interaction going on? What are those people telling you? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, we work very closely with our colleagues from Renew Europe. And yes. They, they love us and they don't want us to leave. <laughs> and in fact, several of them are coming over to England to help with the election and getting their fellow countrymen and women back in England to, to get involved. Um, so there's a huge amount of support, which is really encouraging. Um, and they, 
you know, there, there are obviously other MEPs in other groups who are perhaps less concerned, although I don't spend much time talking to people in ID. Um, I know that the social, Socialists and Democrats and the Greens feel very much the same. I mean, you know, the UK has been a part of this for so long that people say to me, it, it will just be really, really strange if you go uh -huh. and, and you're not here anymore. I think particularly maybe for the Scandinavian countries and some of the uh -huh. smaller countries, there's always been a bit of an affinity um, with them and the UK. Um, so, you know, there's a nervousness about a Franco-German alliance if, if the UK isn't there as a kind of third party hmm. balancing it out. Interesting. Well, I do, so, I do see a lot of the uh, um, European Parliament debates and I do notice some hostility and a deserved one to the MEPs from the Brexit party. And I think, for, for what I see, it's mostly across the board, but uh, that's just an impression for someone that is outside that system. Getting to the general election, exactly. We have one coming up on the 12th of December. Um, we're not going to try to make here uh, a prediction about the results, but give us the worst and best scenario. The, the best scenario we know, and that is the lib Liberal Democrats have a second referendum or an outright revocation of Article 50. But what do you expect could be the, the less positive scenario? Um, well, obviously, the best scenario for us would be a Lib Dem majority. Mm -hmm. um, uh, the polls are showing that that's, that's not going to happen. Um, the worst scenario for us would be that Johnson gets a, a, a solid majority and can make sure that Brexit happens within six weeks of becoming prime minister. You know, we'll be out by the end of January if Johnson has a, mm -hmm. has a majority. I don't think there's any question about that now. Um, what I'm hoping for is, is, is a hung parliament where nobody has a majority, but we have a solid majority of Remain-leaning mm -hmm. MPs in the House of Commons. Um, I know that for a lot of people... That's not an ideal scenario because it means there's more, um, it, there isn't clarity, you know, there, there's more kind of, um, not confusion, but more discussion, more delay, more um, sort of working out which way we go. But I, you know, there is a potential in that scenario that we, we do move towards a second referendum if our European partners will give us long enough to to do that and i do honestly believe that if we had a second referendum brexit would be rejected and that's why the conservatives are so desperate not to have a second referendum um so this is really the last roll of the dice and and what what we're what we're seeing on the ground is that there's a lot of resistance uh, between liberal democrat and labor voters to vote for each other in seats where mm -hmm we might be able to prevent a Tory um, getting the seat. Yes. Because, you know, we stand for very different things and we have very different views on Brexit particularly, but also on lots of other things. And, and it is really hard to suddenly say, you know, that, that you're expected to vote for a party that where you just don't share their values. But I believe very strongly that this is a once-in-a-lifetime election. You know, this is a really unusual election. And if Johnson gets a majority on December the 12th, we're out, and that's it. And that changes Britain for decades, if not forever. You know, the direction of our country changes radically. And 
I think whatever your views on the left, wherever you are on that spectrum of Green, Labour, Liberal Democrat, I think any of that is better yeah, well, than voting in a Johnson majority. Absolutely, Caroline. And it may sound that it's too extreme to say that this could be one of the most important elections in the United Kingdom, but it really isn't, and I totally agree with you. And therefore, there's been a lot of strategic voting and a lot of negotiation. At least that, it's very positive to see uh, political forces joining together in this objective. At, at least that is a good sign, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think the, 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 the um, agreement we made with the Greens and the Welsh National Party, Plaid Cymru, that, that was positive. Um, the, we need more of that. So, in... In the near future, we'll be having some of the answers to, the, to these questions, but I want to talk to you about two particular points which are of interest to us, all of us Europeans, and you have a, a close relationship with Scotland, and I always remember Alan Smith, one of your colleagues at the European Parliament, in what he thought at the moment was one of the, his last speeches in European Parliament, he's saying that to the European Union, please leave the light on so that Scotland can find his way to Europe. And we know how the Scottish National Party um, is thinking about the future of uh, Scotland. What do you think about that? Can you share with us your thoughts as a British person, but at the same time as an European, as someone that has a relationship with Scotland? Well, I, I don't know if you're aware, but I grew up in Scotland. We went there when I was four, and I, I lived there until I was 18. Um, and I still have very, very good friends who live in Scotland. So it is really close to my heart. I'm not, you know, I, I'm not sure I would qualify for a Scottish passport. But um, I, you know, Scotland voted 62% to remain in the referendum. Um, you know, that's a thumping great majority, really. Much, much bigger than the majority that voted to leave overall. And, and I would say that that percentage has probably firmed up even higher since the referendum. Um, I think there's very little doubt that if a right-wing, conservative, Westminster-based government, which possibly wouldn't even have a single MP in Scotland, I think we're looking at the Tories being wiped out in mm -hmm. Scotland. Mm -hmm. So if that government took, took the UK out of the European Union, I, I think there's very little question that Scotland will will at least want another re independence referendum. Now, you may say that they won't vote for independence because it'll be too much sort of trauma on top of trauma, if you, if you get my meaning, that, mm -hmm. you know, to leave the UK after leaving the European Union, a lot of Scots might feel that that's just too much to cope with. Mm. But... It could go the other way and they could say we just don't want anything more to do with England because, you know, we're being ruled by people who are so different to who we are. You know, politically, Scotland is a different country. I, it breaks my heart. I mean, I, you know, I, I'm not the only one amongst my friends and neighbours and um, people back home in England who've said we'll move to Scotland if, <laughs> if Scotland breaks away and, and rejoins the European Union. I think they may find that a lot of their English cousins want to go and live there. Um, but it would, be, it would be tragic. And, you know, what would become of England if Scotland broke away and then you would have a resurgent nationalist movement in Wales, which would gather strength? Um, I, I just, I, you know, if for that reason only, we've got to stop this. 
And we have been seeing a unified message all the way from Nicola Sturgeon to uh, Ian Blackford in West Westminster. The mm. other thing that I would really, really would like to talk to you, and that has to do with um, Northern Ireland and also Ireland, because of course Ireland is part of the European Union, and we know all about the uh, Good Friday agreements and how that have been uh, a way of uh, creating peace, and you just mentioned that one of the things that you most appreciate on the European project is uh, peace and the sustainability of peace. I'm very, very worried about that, um, as I'm sure most of the people that follow this very closely, and afraid that with just the fanaticism of trying to do Brexit at any cost, that we can have uh, the troubles getting back to Northern Ireland. How do you see that situation? I think it's really, really worrying. Um, I think it's fair to say that people forgot about the Irish issue um, at the beginning of this. The Conservative Party clearly never thought about what would happen on the Northern Irish border. Um, you know, this is not a normal border. And I think maybe sometimes people wonder why, why so much fuss is made about it. But I, I did a spell in Ireland as a journalist, and I remember driving uh, back and forth through that border um, quite a long time ago now um, with huge, huge military infrastructure at the border, mm -hmm. you know, men with guns, cameras, the works. It was really intimidating. And, you know, those people do not want to go back to that. And I think any kind of any kind of border checks, any kind of infrastructure um, just takes them back to a place that they don't want to go and, and risks a, a resurgence in, in the troubles. And, um, you know, we would be very, very foolish to, to go down that road. Um, the European Union has, you know, it values its single market, and rightly so, because that's one of the things that makes the European Union work. So it has to, to have a border. Um, so I think potentially, you know, sort of following on from the Scottish question, one of the things that you could be looking at over time, it would take it would take a long time. But, the, you know, already you're hearing talk about Irish reunification, which uh -huh. was not on the cards three years ago. Nobody would have thought about Irish reunification. But now it is actually something that, that it's a phrase you hear spoken about quite normally as if as if we're just at the start of a process. And, and that's the logical conclusion. Now let's just imagine the scenario, Caroline, and that is either the United Kingdom stays at one nation but outside of the European Union or there is some kind of fragmentation inside the kingdom and uh, we'll have just England. What will people like you and like-minded people like you can do to fight for England or the United Kingdom to get back to the European family? Do you know, I... I, the last time I went on one of the big marches against Brexit in London, I was on the train back home to the southwest with two friends, and I just casually said to both of them, you know, what will you do if if, if we end up with a hard Brexit? What will you do? And and one of them said, well, I actually happen to have a run-down, um, derelict little house in Spain. Um so we're going to go there. We've already decided oh. and we're going to do it up. And the other the other one. So I didn't know this about either of these people. Neither of them are wealthy. You know, they're just friends, normal friends of mine. Um, and the other one who's a teacher, she mm -hmm. said, oh, my whole family have a, a house in Brittany in the north of France. 
Uh, so she lives in Plymouth. So it's literally just across the water on the boat. Um, she said, so we've already decided we're going to go there to start with and then and then work out from there where we go. You know, this is this is a real conversation that so many people are having that they're just going to leave. And it's heartbreaking. Um, I think some of us have to stay and fight. Um, I think the the campaign to go back in starts the day after we leave. Um, how long that takes us, I don't know, 10, 20, 30 years. But I I would like to think that one day we will we will come back in if, if we're allowed. Um, but God, I really hope we don't get to that point. Me too. Well, those people can fight on exile. So there's a, yes. there's a little there's a little experience on that. Now uh, let us talk a little bit about one of your projects that you have, and I'm really really uh, interested, and I'm a big fan, and that is our MEP Live podcast that we, you have with uh, Judith Bunting, yeah. where you do exactly this kind of work, which is explain. Uh, show your passion, try to mobilize people. So tell us a little bit about that. So the, the MEP Life podcast wasn't, it wasn't specifically set up to, to fight Brexit. I think what happened was we, um, when we arrived here, we were just on such a steep learning curve and just learning so many things all day, every day, you know, it was all new and we, I, well, I realised that I couldn't possibly write a blog that would even begin to, to encompass everything that was going on in my crazy life, which had, you know, just changed beyond all recognition in the space of a, of a few days. So we, so I, I said to Judith, do you, do you fancy doing a podcast? And I'd never done any radio before. I'd, I've done a few radio interviews, but I'd never really done any broadcasting before. But Judith had worked for the BBC um, and was more familiar with radio studios and and we just thought we would give it a go and actually it's been really really good fun and you know we know lots of people who do listen to it and they've said it has been really interesting sort of following our journey so what we wanted to do was to give people a sense of what it felt like to be completely bewildered by this job and getting to grips with with everything that's involved um, and and take them on that journey with us and I think I think we've done that I mean I, I noticed that now we we talk more about some you know serious issues and you know what the work we're actually doing whereas at the beginning I think it was more sort of observational about finding our way and um, you know the traveling thing is is a huge part of our lives now I spend 16 to 18 hours a week now on trains, getting to and from work, you know, that's just weird. Nobody does that, you know? <laughs> um, so, so all of that, just, we wanted to just somehow ha have a vehicle for, for, for explaining and telling people. And in fact, I have a sister who lives in New Zealand who I don't speak to very often because of the time difference and, um, you know, because I'm really busy at the moment, but she listens to my podcast every week and I get these messages from her saying, oh, it sounds like you've had a really interesting week. <laughs> so that's quite funny. You know, even my nearest and dearest are finding out about my life through our MEP life. Well, uh, we have an experience with uh, some friends of ours across the Atlantic. It's called Pod, uh, Pod Save the Worlds, uh, which oh, yeah. is from Crooked Media. So maybe you should either rename the podcast or have a new one called Pod Save Britain, 
Here's yeah. a suggestion for you. Um, apart from the podcast, and we were going to put the link on the description of this podcast where you are right now, apart from the podcast where people can follow your work. So I'm all over social media and just as Caroline Bowden, I think. So I'm Caroline Bowden on Twitter, Caroline Bowden on Facebook. And I think on Instagram, I'm Caroline Bowden MEP. Very good. So you're on the three platforms and we're going to put uh, the links there so that people yeah, can. Yeah, and it would be great if anybody's heard this interview and wants to get in touch. It'd be really, I would love to hear from you and I will do my best to answer any questions you might have. Again, I thank you for your generosity both by uh, being available to people, but also being available to come here and talk to me on the podcast. And as anyone else, I'm sure that is listening to our conversation, I'm really, really looking forward to have uh, the United Kingdom remain in uh, the European Union so that we can work together to make Europe a better place. But for now, I'm going to thank you so much for coming to the podcast, Caroline. Thank you. It's been really fun to talk to you. I'm back and before we go to this week's ELF events, I would like to tell you that we are now also on Apple Podcasts and on Stitcher and if you like our podcast, please consider giving us a five-star review and that way you can help us spread even more liberal values and ideas. And now for the events organized by ELF for the first week of December. On the first of December in Valletta, Malta, we have the event called Understanding and Managing Migration and the Impact on Societies. Malta is a populated country that is experiencing a fast economic development. As newcomers arrive, can this country keep pace with economic growth? Therefore, questions are raised about how to manage demographic pressure and its impacts in society. What are the political dynamics? What lessons can we learn? And can we formulate a liberal answer to this issue, especially one that ensures sustainable economic development that benefits all? And this is all for now, but I'll be back soon with more podcasts. Until then, let's keep making the world a better place. The Liberal Europe podcast It's organized by the European Liberal Forum with the support of Movimento Liberal Social in Portugal. This podcast is co-founded by the European Parliament, and the European Parliament is not responsible for the contents of this podcast or any news that may be made of it. The views expressed on this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of the European Parliament and or the European Liberal Forum. Thank you.